Welcome to the chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 139 of Chalk Talk. I am your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at Shane Half NFL. I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover radio show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. underscore. Mark, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. You know, we just did the BGN draft pod, which everyone should check out. That's an early plug for the BGN draft pod on Chalk Talk. But everyone should be checking that out on a weekly basis. So I'm officially in off-season mode. But there's this little stupid thing called the playoffs. Like, I don't know, like the NFL postseason, I think, you know, they call it, you know, divisional round, conference championship. You know, there's all that. But, you know, I'm in the off-season. Playoffs? Don't talk to me about the playoffs. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So just a quick programming note before we dive in, Uh, Mark and I, along with dives did just record our first position ranking show on the BGN draft show Uh, that will be airing on this feed later this week. So you can check it out on the BGN feed. You can check it out here on the chalk talk feed. You can help us keep pay the bills, keep the lights on, keep the podcast feeds up and check it out on both places. You don't have to listen to them both. Just download them both. It really helps us out. Uh, helps the metrics and all that stuff. But if it sounds familiar, uh, it is because you've probably already listened to it on one of those places. So we did a we did a draft show every week throughout the season that was exclusively on the BGN feed. Uh, that'll sort of merge up now, especially once the playoffs are over. So you'll get two chalk talks a week through the end of the playoffs. And then it'll specific it'll uh, go specifically to the draft stuff. But enough of that. Let's dive in now and let's talk about the divisional round of the playoffs. We had four divisional games to talk about. Uh, we're going to preview the two conference championship games, uh, and then we are going to get out of here. So let's start off on Saturday with the Houston Texans at the Baltimore Ravens. This was the worst game, I guess you could say, of the week. It wasn't particularly close. Baltimore wins thirty-four to ten. Uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me in this game is how Baltimore adjusted their approach in the second half. In the first half of this game, Lamar Jackson had an average time to throw of 3.92 seconds. Uh, he was 7 of 11 for 52 yards. He took three sacks and had a 39% success rate. In the second half, they really got the ball out quick. He had a 2.48 second time to throw. He was 9 of 11 for 100 yards, zero sacks, and had a 73% success rate. So it really felt like, I mean, Houston's offense could never get anything going, uh, but it felt like eventually Baltimore solved the D'Amico Ryan's defense and was able to to generate some some positive outcomes in the second half. Their rushing attack really carried the day. Uh, Lamar had 100 rushing yards and two touchdowns on only 11 attempts. Justice Hill and Gus Edwards combined for 106 yards on 23 attempts. Dalvin Cook had eight carries for 23 yards. Uh, and the Ravens kind of steamrolled uh, the the Texans' defense. Uh, as for the Ravens' defense, one of the things that stuck out to me last week uh, is that the Browns, when they faced the Texans, they stayed in their single high, heavy boxes, Jim Schwartz, cover three type approach against a Texans offense that has struggled to run the ball all year. And that's not what the Ravens did. Uh, The Ravens played 70% nickel versus the Texans heavy personnel. And Houston only had a 25% rushing success rate against the Ravens nickel looks 18% overall. And and as teams this off season are looking for defensive coordinators and 
you know, making those sorts of hires. I just want to say that I'm over defensive coordinators who run a system. You have to adjust. Like there's no reason for Jim Schwartz and the Browns to be in that single high look all game against the Texans when they can't run the football other than it's just my scheme. It's the way that I play. I love that Mike McDonald didn't do that. I loved that he stayed nickel. He realized rightly that the Texans can't really run the ball. And he just doubled down on making it really difficult for CJ Stroud. And he did. Uh, CJ Stroud was held in check this game. And Baltimore played the Texans two times this season. They never allowed an offensive touchdown. No other team has held the Texans without an offensive touchdown in any game this season. So, uh, again, big fan of Mike McDonald, ringing endorsement for him as a head coach candidate. Uh, for the defensive coordinators out there, get outside your system and come up with some individual game plans. And I think that was a key here for McDonald and the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Texans were a fun story. And I think we see this like every year in divisional round with at least one team. And and I think that, you know, a, a big part of why the Texans got here where the Browns were incredibly fluky and lucky to even be in that situation, in my opinion. Um, I, I just don't think the Browns were all that good so the Texans kind of got by. They were able to blow them out. It got out of hand. Some turnovers turned it into an all lopsided game. And they get through and they play a Baltimore team that's just a rolling ball of chainsaws when they when they look good, which was the second half of this game. They looked like one of the best teams of all time. And, and I think Aaron Schatz uh, from Football Outsiders, uh, I don't think – I don't think that's where he's at anymore. Uh, I think F- he's somewhere FTN around. Fantasy. Football FTN. Outsiders went belly up. But, yeah, yeah he's yeah. – running FTN fantasy now. I always mix that up. I still can't get that in my head. Um, but I believe his weighted DVOA, which um, people that don't, I think everyone's familiar with DVOA, but weighted DVOA weights the recent games more heavily than the earlier games in the season. At this point, the, uh, you know, past the divisional round, the Ravens are the number one weighted DVOA, DVOA team since he's been running the model. Um, and I think that 10 of the 14 teams in the rest of the top 15 there have won the Super Bowl. Uh, so that's to say that the Ravens have been just incredibly impressive on both sides of the ball. Um, I, I There was a time in this game when it's sitting at 10-10 and I'm saying, you know, everything that I had concerns about is coming to light. You know, you don't have the stud on the outside that Lamar can just throw to when he's in trouble. And it felt like everything that went well for the first half in Baltimore had to be created by Lamar. Um, And that wasn't the case in the second half. Everything they did worked. They, you know, their offensive strategy worked. They clearly made adjustments. Mike McDonald made adjustments. Todd Munkin made adjustments. And, you know, the second half Baltimore Ravens in that game looked like the team that could win the Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. So, Uh, Let's go on to our next game. We will go to San Francisco uh, where the San Francisco 49ers had a close call with the green Bay Packers. Uh, They win 24 to 21. Uh, The 49ers lost Debo Samuel early in the first half. And it was clear uh, he was supposed to be a big part of the game plan in the rain. Uh, Mm -hmm. Watch this game. Uh, Brock Purdy really struggled for three quarters of this game. He really struggled. Uh, Jake Moody had a kick block just before halftime in the, in the third, I think it was in the fourth quarter when Aaron Jones ripped off that 53 yard run down to the 37 yard line. Yeah. Under 10 minutes to go. I thought the game might be over, but after they picked up another first down to the 24, they got stopped. And then their kicker 
misses a chip shot field goal that would have put the Packers up seven. And at that moment, everybody knew how the game was going to end. 49ers go score a touchdown. Brock Purdy makes a couple good throws. Uh, and all of a sudden Jordan Love has a chance to lead a game winning or game tying drive. And he threw one of the worst interceptions you'll ever see. Um, the thing that really stings in this one for the Packers and the Packers are like the Texans. They're a young team. They weren't expected to be here this year. They play, you know, they played a one seed really well, but the thing that makes this one particularly difficult is their plan worked. Like Mm -hmm. how do you handle the 49ers offense? When they go 21 personnel, do you play nickel? They're going to run the ball at you. Do you play base? They're going to spread you out and use Christian Mm -hmm. McCaffrey. The Packers played a ton of base to 21 personnel. The 49ers EPA per pass this year, when teams have done that, has been 0.48, which is about eight times the league average. The Packers held Brock Purdy to 7 of 13 for 45 yards in a negative 0.19 drop back EPA playing base against 21 personnel. And they lost. Like Their plan worked to perfection, and it just wasn't enough. You miss a kick wide left, you get a brutal interception, and you come up that short of making an NFC title game appearance. And so the Packers are young. They got a lot of hope going forward. Uh, but man, that, that was a brutal one, to, a brutal way to lose that because as much, you know, as much flack as their defensive coordinator gets, the plan worked and it just still came up short. And that's, that's how good San Francisco is too. We talked about the Ravens, how good they are. It's how good San Francisco is too. And, uh, the weak points, the pressure points for San Francisco showed up in this game, but they were able to weather the storm and get the win. Kickers, man. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm so sick of talking about kickers. And, and uh, there's a we're going to have to talk about another one later on in this show, and I think that's the one that's getting the most attention, and it's the one with more finality, and I understand why the, the missed kick in the Bills game gets more talk than the missed kick in the Packers game. I'd argue that the missed kick in the Packers game was bigger and more important because not to get too ahead of ourselves, Bills make that field goal. Patrick Mahomes has the ball with a minute and 40 left in this scenario. The Packers would have went up seven. The 49ers couldn't have possibly beat them in regulation. Cause Kyle Shanahan certainly wouldn't have went for two, you know, down <laughs> can 20. you imagine Kyle Shanahan scoring and then going for two in yeah, the win? Absolutely not. He would think that that's like disrespecting the sport. He's like, he would be like, oh, that would be like me admitting my team's not as good as the other team. Like he, he would not be able to even process that information. Uh, so that not a chance that he'd do that. So there, this game would have went to overtime at the very least if Anders Carlson mix, misses, makes that kick instead of missing the kick. And, and the most frustrating part of that is what they revealed on the broadcast right after he misses the kick. They go and they say, yeah, we talked to Matt LaFleur about it. And Matt LaFleur said he basically has to turn around and pray and, you know, hope for the best when his kicker goes out there and he knows that there's going to be rough stretches, but they're going to stick through it with their rookie kicker and they believe in him. If you've got to turn around and you can't watch your kicker, you need to find a new kicker because that is just in It's I don't know. I understand also like, you talk to the announcers, you, you give them little nuggets and that helps them out. And that's going to have them treat you better in the media. And I understand the whole game. What benefit does it give Matt LaFleur to, to say that? 
to the announcers. Like it just makes you sound horrible. It makes your kickers sound like terrible. Like I, I thought that was one of the more shocking things I've ever heard on a broadcast, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, man, that one, it, and it was such a good game too. like, not, not to, I don't want to just like pit like camp on the kicker thing. Cause this was such a good game. And, Jordan Love played really well. And like, there's a lot of reasons for Packers fans to be excited uh, moving into the future. There's a lot of reasons for 49ers fans. I mean, 49ers fans, you just feel like you dodged a bullet. This is a team that knocked off the Cowboys last week and they took you to the brink and you survived and you move on and you get to face a Lions team that we're about to talk about at home. And your path to a Super Bowl is shaped up really well. Uh, this was just, this was an awesome game. Uh, and, for it to end on a miss well, i mean it didn't end on a miss kick but for a miss kick to kind of be a part of deciding that outcome it does leave you a little deflated inside similarly to like we're about to talk about in a few minutes with that bills game yeah it's there, i have a take on green bay that i'm gonna wait to fire off until we get to uh the lions preview with the san fran 49ers actually but what i'll say is what do you think about them firing Joe Barry? Uh, I mean, they you just said they had an incredible plan for this game. The defense showed up against Dallas. The defense showed up at the end of the year at times when they needed it. I, I understand he was terrible. I think he's a bad defensive coordinator probably. But it feels kind of bizarre for, for them to fire him after such a, like, probably his best coaching performance, I guess, <laughs> in the season. Yeah, I, uh, I, I thought Barry should have been gone a couple times. and. So it's probably the right move, but yeah, it's a little strange. It, it does feel weird after it felt like you did a really good, the, the defense at least played really well and that. And they played well against the Cowboys too. Like they, they had back-to-back good playoff games um, and, and then Barry gets sent out the door. So that's a very interesting uh, turn of events, I guess. I would have felt way differently had they fired Barry after not making the playoffs. Yeah. I think that the kind of the, it's the Brock Purdy conversation is just so impossible to have. Um, it seems like we either have to say he's elite or we have to say he's terrible and a total creation of the system. Realistically, the truth is in the middle. I think he's probably like a below average quarterback. And I think the system is just perfect. And he has Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle and a great O-line and Kyle Shanahan. It's so funny though. If you had an opinion on Brock Purdy coming into this game, you still have that opinion. (laughs) It's just because of those three quarters, it gives you all the ammo in the world for the haters of Brock Purdy, which I lean more to that side for sure. And then if you want to be the, these people are unfair about Brock Purdy and he's incredible and he's a bigger part of the success than people want to admit, then you look at the fourth quarter and he played really good. Uh, He did. He definitely had a really good drive to win the game. He, He had some nice throws in the fourth quarter. It's just he's like a it's almost like a case study. He's like a he's like a social experiment in the NFL. Yeah. All right. Well, let's roll on to the Sunday games and let's talk about the Detroit Lions who beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right. And now they have more playoff victories this season than than they have since (laughs) 1958. Uh, They were locked in a dogfight heading into the fourth quarter. Uh then their offense came alive. Goff hit his first 11 passes in the fourth quarter for 131 yards and a touchdown. 
uh, leading 75 and 89 yard touchdown drives as the Lions pushed that lead up to 14. Uh, the Bucks did make it a one score game late. They were unable to fully close that gap as Baker Mayfield threw an interception with a minute 30 left. And it was a pretty bad interception, um, to be honest. But uh, Jameer Gibbs had a great game in this one for the Lions. He generated an 88.9% rushing success rate. He had 31 rushing yards over expectation uh, and 6.1 yards after contact per carry. And so the Lions were able to get enough done here uh, to oust the Bucks from the playoffs, and they will make an NFC championship game appearance. What did you take away from this one? Yeah, I think that the Lions played a pretty terrible team in the second round, not to take anything away from the Lions. I think the Lions played a much better team in the Rams uh, than they played in the Bucks the next week. So it's almost like you got to take a step down in competition. But ultimately, um, and I, I'll, I'll give Greg Rosenthal credit for, for this take a little bit, the Detroit Lions are proving that just offense matters more than defense. Uh, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Their offense scores a ton of points. Defense is more variable week to week. Uh, there's kind of more things you can figure out and scheme out on defense, whereas I think offense – comes down to the Jimmies and Joes a lot of the time, and they have them on the Lions. They've got a couple guys who can run the ball. They have Amon Ross St. Brown. They have Sam Laporta, Jameson Williams stepping into a role at times to have a couple plays each game. And maybe the most important of it all, they have an incredible offensive line. I mean, their offensive line is the best in football probably. So um, that's really what it comes from. I think the defense is ripe for the picking. Um, I think they've been lucky to only give up 23 points each of the last two weeks. Uh, but the offense is consistent, and the offense, I imagine, uh, will will probably show up again this week. It, it's going to have to show up, you know, even more. I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's some interesting clash of styles that we'll get into when we preview uh, this game. And I really will have more to talk about with the Lions when we get to that preview. So. Yeah. I'm kind what? of struggling with what to say in some of these recaps because I'm like, oh, I want to say that for the preview. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Lions fans, I promise, stay tuned in. We're going to talk about your team a little bit more than that. But let's move on to the Bills-Chiefs game. Uh, the Chiefs win 27-24. to uh, They were ready to put this game away in the fourth quarter after a wild fake punt decision on a fourth and five from the Bills' 30-yard line uh, when McCole Hardman fumbled through the end zone and gave the ball back to the Chiefs. Uh, or gave the ball back to the Bills, excuse me. And, uh, you know, heaven forbid that hap- this rule's been around forever. I've complained about it forever, but it finally happened to the Chiefs and almost cost them a game. And immediately the NFL's like, yeah, we're going to look at that rule this offseason. So uh, <laughs> basic- basically, flash forward, the year is 2035, and the entire NFL rule book is based on what happens in Chiefs-Bills games. We've got overtime <laughs> rules. We've got fumbling out of the end zone. We had it all, but... Uh, The Chiefs did get a quick three and out uh, after that fumble through the end zone. Uh, But then the Bills got a stop and it set up a potential game winning or game tying drive for Josh Allen. And it ended with Tyler Bass missing a 44 yard field goal wide right. Uh, And man, it it just I you you feel for Buffalo lost to Cincinnati last year, 27 to 10 in the playoffs and. That was the, you know, after the DeMar Hamlin game. And there's a lot of things going on that kind of makes that game an anomaly. Outside of that game, they have not lost a game by more than a touchdown since November 21st, 2021. They are so good. And they have caught so many bad breaks. 
And the window is not closed, but this team is going to look dramatically different next year for salary cap reasons and things. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be like, it's so frustrating. This is, this is like a, I don't do this often. Let's go cross sport analogy, right? This is like, I mean, this is Josh Allen is like the Carl Malone to, to Michael, to Patrick Mahomes, Michael Jordan. Like he's a phenomenal player. And if Patrick Mahomes was not in the NFL, how many times would the bills have been to the Super Bowl already? And yet they just can't get past the chiefs and you can hear it in the way Josh Allen talks. Like, it's just like, man, and they were excellent in this 56% or better uh, drop back success rate for both quarterbacks. The bills had a 62% success rate on designed runs. Um, that throw that Josh Allen made to Khalil Shakur, Shakur in the corner of the end zone was incredible. And it's just not enough. Something It's like something always happens. It's like it's inevitable that something wild will happen and the Bills will fail at the last moment against the Chiefs. I got to be honest. My takeaway from this game is not about the Bills. It's about the Chiefs. And what the Chiefs did on offense in this game is one of the more impressive things I've ever seen. They ran 43 offensive plays, Shane, that were not dro- that were not kneel downs. So 43 real offensive plays. 21 first downs. Four, they only got to third down four times. And this is they scored 27 points with Mecole Hartman fumbling out of the back of the end zone. Or 27 points with, with him doing that. I I think the Chiefs. You played this game 10 times, to be quite honest with you. I think the Chiefs win eight or nine of them. I I think that's how good the Chiefs played, and I think the focus is on the missed kick. But like I said earlier when we were talking about the Packers' missed kick, does anyone on the planet think that Patrick Mahomes wouldn't have won that game in the last minute and 40 seconds if the Bills made that field goal with three timeouts? Only if MVS dropped a pass. (laughs) Yeah, that's the only scenario, but I mean – when it comes down to it, Superman wears Patrick Mahomes pajamas. I mean, maybe the stats don't look like, I mean, he only had 215 yards. He was 17 for 23. He had a 91.2 QBR, 131.6 rating. I'm sure you could, you know, you could give us some EPA and, and, and some things like that. He was perfect in this game and Josh Allen was great, but he wasn't perfect. And at the end of the game, the only way they were going to win that game wasn't by kicking a field goal. To me, as soon as they had to line up for a field goal, that game was lost for Buffalo. I said that out loud before they missed the kick. They had to score a touchdown on that drive, and they couldn't because Josh Allen, he missed a couple guys, or he missed someone you know underneath where it could have extended the drive and at least got a first down. And there's a couple instances on that on the last drive. You know who doesn't miss things like that when it comes down to it? Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, that, that's really as simple as it is. And Josh Allen's great. He's one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen. Um, I, but when it comes down to it, he's going against the best quarterback that I think we will ever see. Um, and, and that's Patrick Mahomes. And he's just, he was perfect in this game in a way that I, I don't think the stats will ever be able to tell the story. You had to watch it and you had to live it. Yeah. Well, and the defense to the Chiefs defense. Yeah. Josh Allen's longest run was 18 yards. His longest completion was 15. In 104 games as an NFL starter, Mark, how many times do you think Josh Allen has been held without 
a 20 plus yard play. One, two. It's actually four counting this one, but the first three, one of them was a five drop back game, that game against the Patriots. Yeah. Uh, The other two, he had 19 and 26 drop backs against the chiefs. He had 45 and didn't generate a 20 plus yard play. The chiefs had eight plays of over 20 yards. Just incredible. You know, it's something, this is an interesting thing. And this relates back to the Eagles. Um, The Eagles, there's a lot of talk about linebackers, right? How they just didn't spend on linebackers. And you look at three of the four teams remaining and they have great linebackers. Sure. Absolutely. I, I think that's factual. They, the Eagles skimped on linebacker. I don't know how I turned this into an Eagles thing, by the way, but I did. But as I talk about on this show, the the thing that concerns me and annoys me more as an Eagles fan is the way that they've handled the defensive back area and the secondary in the draft and the lack of resources they've put into that. So everyone wants to talk about the linebackers. Take a look at how the Chiefs and the Ravens and the Lions have valued the secondary the last couple of years. Lions drafted Brian Branch, Chiefs Trent McDuffie, Ravens Kyle Hamilton, and a couple other corners. Like All of those teams have placed an emphasis on drafting defensive backs and on signing defensive backs uh, and you know putting an emphasis on those positions. And it showed in this game, the Chiefs, like you said, held the Bills to uh you know without a without a play more than 20 yards now the receivers helped with that a little bit stefan diggs um with a huge drop there uh i'm trent shurfield a couple missed missed opportunities down the field as well so it doesn't all fall on josh allen and by the way josh allen was mostly amazing in this game but he missed a couple throws and that was the that that cost him the game one other thing actually when it comes when it comes to this that last drive that i wanted to mention did you think they were going a little too slow? Um, they got the ball know. back with like nine minutes left, and they they kicked the field goal with a minute forty. I get what they were trying to do, trying to drain it out. Yeah, but at a certain point, did you think you were going to drain out all of the nine minutes and give Mahomes like no time? Like, I almost think you would have, you should have been planning to get the ball back from Mahomes, like. <laughs> You should have been thinking that far ahead, and I and I felt like they were really like wasting down to one second on the shot or the shot clock. I'm already in basketball season. They were down one second, you know, on the play clock, and you know they were really like not rushing to the line at all. Like I I said it at the time, I was like, this is they're going really slow, and it almost put you in a situation where the game was lost um, once you didn't score a touchdown. Like I said, so uh, that was something I didn't love how they handled that. To be honest, yeah, yeah. So the Chiefs will survive and move on, and we're going to get the AFC title game of the Kansas City Chiefs at the Baltimore Ravens. So uh, we'll turn the page and talk about that one here. Uh, the the ideal ingredients, Mark, for winning in the postseason are an elite quarterback and a good defense, right? And that brings us to the Ravens and the Chiefs, and they both check both boxes. Lamar and Patrick Mahomes. I think I think it is inarguable that that's like the best and the third best quarterback in the NFL. And then two top defenses. Um, the Ravens defense has been much better than the Chiefs offense has this year. But it's still Patrick Mahomes with the best mm-hmm. defense he's ever had. Uh, Travis Kelsey just had two touchdowns in the divisional round. The offense is clicking on all cylinders now albeit it's 
only for one game and against a defense that had no healthy linebackers. And so maybe you factor that in. Um, but Lamar Jackson has a point differential of plus 145 against playoff teams this year. And I use Lamar Jackson, not the Ravens, because that lets us exclude week 18 when they didn't play Lamar. Yeah. Uh, but so plus 145 against playoff teams this year. The Chiefs defense is good, but they have struggled against the run this year. They're 26th in EPA per designed run. And the Ravens are, they can run the ball really well. They just did it to the Texans. So uh, some interesting matchups here uh, for the Ravens defense. Their defense has been so good at getting sacks this year. Mahomes just doesn't take sacks. His 3.9% sack rate and his 13.8% pressure to sack rate are second in the NFL. And so it's a bit of a clash of styles. There's a lot of interesting matchups in this game. The Ravens pass rush against Patrick Mahomes. Uh, the Chiefs really good defense, but that struggles against the run, against the Ravens rushing attack. Uh, it's at Baltimore, so that's nice for Ravens fans. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? I've said it all year. I wavered a little bit at times. Uh, but if you give me a top five defense and you give me Patrick Mahomes, I, I've I've got to ride with it. And I swayed from it at times. Any, I am officially now, if anyone ever tries to push the narrative in the regular season that the Chiefs aren't as good this year, they're going to have serious problems in the playoffs. I'm done with it. And I said this year, I didn't want to hear it. But even then, uh, it got so ugly at times with the offense and with the receivers that even I allowed it. I was like, all right, maybe there are some concerns. There weren't. It was all just they were messing around. It's just you get to the playoffs and Mahomes is a different animal. It's just he's he's not the same player as he is in week nine than when he is when the season's on the line. And them being an underdog by three and a half, four points, whatever you can get them at. I think it's I think it's insane. And I know you you have to do it. The Ravens have been historically good. Their their defense is incredible. Like I said, they're the number one weighted DVOA team of all time. Nobody's a bigger Lamar Jackson fan than me. I I nothing would make me happier. Nothing than Lamar Jackson getting his moment as a Super Bowl champion and being crowned as one of the faces of the NFL. I mean, he already is that, but officially like stamped and fully approved as next to Mahomes, probably like the number two face of the NFL. Nothing would make me happier, but I try to imagine this game and it's hard to imagine Patrick Mahomes losing a game like this because we've seen him win it so many times. And I, I know that's not high level analysis. I know that's not me bringing in a whole bunch of numbers, a whole bunch of analytics. Here's the matchup that they're going to exploit. It's just I don't want to be left holding the bag betting against Patrick Mahomes when he's an underdog in the playoffs. I, I believe in the guy. I think he figures out a way to do it. And, you know, the point you made with the, the pressure rate I think is incredibly important, and we saw it in the Super Bowl. We had, a, we had a team, we had a defense historically ranking in sacks, 100 sacks or whatever the total sack number was there for all those guys on the defensive line, and it didn't matter at all when it came time to play the chiefs in the super bowl, I think it'll be the same thing against Baltimore this time. And it was nice to see Travis Kelsey woke up a little bit last week. Maybe he was, you know, maybe he was banged up with something. Maybe he was kind of conserving energy a little bit, um, considering how much football Kelsey's played over the last couple of years with how much playoff games they've been in. Uh, maybe he was conserving some energy. And I, I the, 
I guess the other X factor I'd say is, and I don't know how much I buy this because like you said, the bills linebackers were out, but Isaiah Pacheco 15 carries for 97 yards in that game. Uh, they had a touchdown. Um, I'm pretty sure he was very good as, yeah, he was very good as well against Miami, 89 yards and a touchdown. This is the best running game that Patrick Mahomes has ever had behind him with Pacheco playing this way. Uh, so uh, if they can run the ball against Baltimore, I, I think it's lights out. Yeah. Uh, other things worth mentioning. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco did not participate in practice today with an ankle injury. Uh, and Joe Tooney, uh, who injured his pectoral in this game, their offensive guard is pretty likely to miss the game. So those are things worth monitoring. Pacheco uh, did say he was playing, though. I okay, yeah, I would be surprised if Pacheco doesn't play. I would be surprised if Tooney does play. So yeah. uh, give me the Ravens. I'm riding with the Ravens. Uh, I've been big on the Ravens all season. Uh, I don't ever feel good about picking against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, but uh, I'm going to ride with the team I've been I've been courting all season. So give me the Ravens here uh, to advance to the Super Bowl. So uh, got a comment here from Daniel Barry on YouTube chiming in saying, hey, welcome to the show. Uh, one game left here and then we're going to get out of here real quick. Shane, I have a question for you on that game on, on Chiefs Ravens. You wouldn't bet Ravens minus three and a half or four, though, would you? Absolutely not. Yeah, that's what I, I, I would take the point. I would take the Chiefs and the points. Yeah, I think it's I think it's that simple. I just think you cannot lay points against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, okay, let's get into the NFC title game. Uh, we've got the Detroit Lions at the San Francisco 49ers. This is San Francisco's seventh NFC championship appearance since 2011, but they are two and four in those games. So they have not had a lot of success in NFC title games. Uh, this is a bit of a clash of style. The 49ers have one of the most efficient passing offenses in the NFL. Uh, the Lions defense, Mark, I don't know if you know this or not. They are really bad against the pass. 30th and drop back EPA allowed. So Brock Purdy's coming off a bad game. Some of that probably related to rain. Doesn't have the biggest hands, not the strongest arm, can struggle to play in you know not as good a weather. But, uh, and he can turn those in, but it's hard to imagine a Lions team who struggled with the Buccaneers being able to stop the 49ers. Then you flip the script and talk about the Lions offense. The strength of the Lions offense is their rushing attack. Uh, they are 11th highest in rush rate over expectation, and they are 6th in EPA per rush. Their two-headed duo of Montgomery and Gibbs, running backs at law, uh, will try to get going <laughs> against a 49ers defense that they're not bad, but they're about league average defending the run. And so that's this is the path, right? Detroit... We all know that for the San Francisco 49ers, they can struggle to play from behind. They like to play from out in front. The Lions want to run the football. The Lions need to be able to come out and jump on this team early. If you fall in a hole, it's not going to go well uh, for the Lions. They want to be able to play this game close, play from a lead. Um, the 49ers are really good at stopping explosive pass plays. Detroit really throws the ball deep anyways. It's about that running game. It's about the underneath passing game. The, the ed, if this game comes down close, we've alluded to it, but game management could come into play. Kyle Shanahan is horrible at game management. Dan Campbell, I won't say he's great at it because we all saw him go full tilt against the Cowboys going for two from like the 15-yard line. But I will say he is very aggressive, and generally that's where you want to be. 
And so, it, you know, if it comes down to a fake punt from your 40-yard line, it comes down to going for two, not kicking a field goal from the three-yard line, Dan Campbell is the guy that's likely going to make the right decisions there. And that is a small edge, but those small edges add up and matter. So uh, how do you see this game playing out, Mark? Can Detroit do what the Packers could not? Can they take down the 49ers? Absolutely not. This, in my opinion, is going to be 38-14, like 35-10. I think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be from the start. I think San Fran's going to get up early, and I don't think Detroit's getting back in the game. Um, In a similar way to – I think Detroit played maybe the third or fourth best team in the NFC in the Rams and then played maybe the seventh or sixth best team in the NFC in the Bucs the next week where it almost – stacked up where they got their harder game in the in wild card as opposed to the divisional round i think the same happened for the san francisco 49ers the way that the green bay packers are playing or we're playing and the way that jordan love was playing and the way that the defense played in that game the way they were running the ball i think the packers are a far better team than the lions and i think we saw that when the packers beat the crap out of the lions at the end of the nfl season um, so I, I think the pack, I think the Niners are almost going to have a little bit of a day off when it comes to they, 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 I think they're playing a much worse team than the team that took them to the limit last week. And I think everyone out there is like, Oh, the, the Niners are vulnerable. You know, you saw them against the Packers there. And I think this is where they step up and they go, we're pretty good. We, we have Christian McCaffrey. We have Debo Samuel. We have Brandon Ayuk. We have George Kittle. And you can't stop it because you're 30th against the pass. I think they are just going to torch this Lions defense. And I think once you remove the element of them being able to run the ball at will Detroit, because I think they're going to get down early, I don't think the passing game is going to be quite as successful um, without the the dangerous threat of the running game. What I will say, if they are going to compete in the game and it does end up being a close game, the Lions should take David Montgomery off the field and give every carry to Jameer. It's ridiculous. I mean, you look at what David Montgomery uh, did this week. He had 10 carries for like 33 yards um, against uh, against the Bucks Last week, he was extremely inefficient as well, I believe. Um, against the Rams, he was, he was uh, I had it and then I lost it, 14 for 57. So not extremely inefficient, but not good. Jameer Gibbs has 17 carries the last two weeks, and he's been extremely, extremely good, especially this week. I think Jameer Gibbs is the far, far better uh, talent at the running back position. And I know they use them in more interesting ways, but I think David Montgomery is far too involved in the offensive game plan and it hasn't affected them yet. They're going to have to score like 35 points to win this game. And you're not going to do that with David Montgomery plodding around the field. So uh, I think Jameer Gibbs is their X factor if they do want to try to compete in this game. Um, But I don't think they're going to come close. Yeah. Whenever you get into the, Whenever you get into the explosive offense meets the team that needs to run the ball and not fall behind and shorten the game, it just feels like like we can craft the game script where that works out. It just seems like it never happens. Um, Narrow. You know, barring, you know, obviously barring injury sort of things, barring, you know, Brock Purdy melting down and throw, which again, he should have thrown three interceptions against the Packers and they all three got dropped and that happens. But Barring some just outlier performance like that, I'm with you. I think the 49ers win this game. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think this game turns out to be a nail biter, but I hope I'm wrong. I hope we're in for, you know, back to back epic games uh, on Sunday. Uh, and then 
obviously we get that two week break till the Super Bowl. There's only three games left in the entire NFL season. Uh, it makes me a little bit sad. Oh, it's definitely sad. It's not, something else I want to say. It almost I, I I do the AFC will probably be favored in the Super Bowl, uh, maybe over San Francisco. Uh, but I do feel like there's almost a narrative coming out where like, oh, the AFC championship game is actually the Super Bowl. Like San Francisco is not going to have a chance. San Francisco is incredible. The 49ers are so good. And Kyle Shanahan is an amazing, amazing coach for everything we do make fun of him here for um, with, with some of his aggressiveness and his lack of, you know, his lack of aggressiveness, I should say. Uh, he's an incredible coach. And by the way, he's 5-0 and against the spread and straight up at home in the playoffs. The dude does not lose in San Francisco in the playoffs. I think that continues. I'll be all over the Niners minus seven. The one thing I wanted to look up while we were, while we were talking is the weather report um, for Santa Clara on January 28th. Cause we learned Brock Purdy can't throw <laughs> the ball in rain at all. Um, so as long as it's looking Sunday, mostly cloudy, seven, zero percent precipitation. We're good. Brock Purdy is going to be, he's going to throw for 400 yards. 49ers need to put a dome on their station on their stadium uh, really quickly. So. Yeah, yeah, work overnight. <laughs> All right, well, that is going to about wrap it up for this divisional recap and our conference championship game preview. Uh, next show in your feed will be uh, the BGN Draft Show, breaking down our top five quarterbacks in the draft, and then again we'll be back the next week with a conference championship review. We probably won't Super Bowl preview because we've got two weeks. We'll figure it out. But uh, we'll start to transition to draft stuff as we get through the offseason. So uh, keep it tuned right here on the feed. If you enjoy the draft, uh, we'll get you everything you need to know. So thank you guys for joining us for episode number 139 of Chalk Talk. If you enjoy what you heard on the show, and we know that you do, smash that subscribe button and turn on notifications so you don't miss our next episode. Drop us a five-star rating and review wherever you stream your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. Mark is on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. And we will catch you guys next time.